Yo, Dakalo. And welcome to the Documenteers Podcast, the greatest podcast about our favorite kinds of films, documentaries. I am Bob Sham, and each week myself and an enthusiast humorously and sometimes emotionally discuss a different documentary. And this week we roll on with Creeptober October for a documentary series about the binds of religion and political power. It's creepy because it's real. Angela and I will be discussing the Jesse Moss Netflix docuseries, The Family. Docuseries style runs down like this. We watch and record after each episode, and the episode breaks down into chapters not unlike the documentary series that we're discussing. It actually took Angela and I the span of a week to record all of The Family. That's usually how we roll when we do docuseries episodes, of which we never do enough. Honestly, if we look at a docuseries and it's 10 parts at a full hour each, it's a little intimidating. That said, I got to figure out how to get a Ken Burns joint up in this piece. Next week on the podcast, the kill will be with me, much to his utter disappointment. Let me tell you folks, we don't call this month Creeptober for nothing. The documentary we're going to be discussing is one that has come up a few times almost as a joke, but in the back of my mind, I knew we would have to tackle it eventually. Akil has become something of a stunt host on this show. I seem to hit him with weird shit and marathon watches that take half a day to do, and he is always down with little to no complaints. But this documentary really tested his limitations. The next Creeptober documentary we're discussing is a film by a guy named Robinson Dever, and it's called Zoo. Not the James Patterson series TV show. We're talking about people who love horses. And by love, we mean fucking get fucked by horses. With a particular focus on a man who died from getting it by a horse. And that death brought down an entire horse love operation. Oh boy. Honestly, next week episode is probably not suitable for anyone of any age ever. Probably our bluest yet. I'm warning you now, and I'll warn you again next week in the episode. In fact, I'm just going to say, don't listen to next week's episode. Don't do it. That said, you can find this documentary on YouTube. I recommend the version split into seven parts. The quality seemed a little better on that one. It's on YouTube, so that means it doesn't show anything particularly graphic. But still, it's about dudes who fuck horses. And that is next week, right here on The Documenteers. Our docuseries discussions are in chapters, as I said, and in between each chapter, we transition with a song clip, and it's a lot of fun for me because longtime listeners probably realize by now that deep, deep down, I always wanted to be a radio DJ. I actually was for about a year, but, but it was the play good music and don't get paid version of radio, not the play shit music and barely make a modest living version that is most of radio. That said, the songs you briefly hear in this episode in order are Jesus Children of America by Stevie Wonder from his classic album Inner Visions. Then we hear Running Up That Hill, subtitled A Deal with God by Kate Bush from her also classic album Hounds of Love. After that, we hear one from the late great Rocky Erickson from his Devil Talking Days with the song Two Headed Dog slash Red Temple Prayer from his record The Evil One. There's some live cuts to that song that are equally great, if not better. But then we play a song we hear 
within this docuseries, but they play the George Jones and Tammy Wynette version, which is a mighty fine rendition. Before our transition, I played the version done by the guy who wrote the song, and we play Me and Jesus by Tom T. Hall. Here in Nashville, where we record, Tom's spirit is always breathing down on our necks, and we love it. After that, we play the song Dark Horse from the Boston area metalcore band Converge from their amazing record, Axe to Fall. If you're a Converge fan, then you are very well acquainted with the song Dark Horse. And finally, the last song. And what a variety of songs this turned out to be, and I love them all. We go out on another musician who we lost this year. In fact, as I am recording this audio, this person passed away only a handful of days ago. He will have been passed on for at least a month or more by the time you hear this. And he meant quite a bit to so many independent musicians all over for his diligence to his art and inimitable sincerity that is rare to find amongst musicians. I am, of course, talking about Daniel Johnson, the king of lo-fi pop songs and alien drawings, who suffered intense mental illness and heartache. It took me a long time to decide what song of his I wanted to close out on, but I decided to stick to the thematics of the docuseries we're discussing by playing Devil Town, a fun sing-along one at live shows. There are a few versions of that song, but the one I picked is a rare one that he actually sang over the phone when he called into WFMU in New Jersey. I believe he was promoting his record 1990 at the time. Those recordings are a lot of fun, and they are in the spirit of Daniel Johnston's roots of lo-fi home recording, and those are all of those song credits. Go to DocumentariesPodcast.com for more information about us. If you like the show, give us five stars and a written review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help us get out there in front of the ears of film lovers who also like podcasts. You will find no better podcast about documentaries, I promise you. Some try and try well, but in execution, none can be the documenteers. On to this docuseries, The Family by Jesse Moss. Keep on docking. Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Jesus said, you have to put me before other people and you have to put me before yourself. Hitler, that was a demand to be in the Nazi party. They had to put the Nazi party and its objectives ahead of their father, mother, brother, sister, and their own life. That was a covenant, a pledge. But the real work is invisible. And it is invisibly spreading. The more you can make your organization invisible, the more influence it will have. Angela, are you feeling creeped out? I'm so creeped out right now. I'm going to breathe down your neck while we watch this docuseries we're going to discuss. We we are not turning all the lights off. Now, this isn't scary like monsters ain't going to pop up. This this is not a serial killer. Maybe a, I don't, well, I don't know. This has been talked about. We're just not getting to it. I think this is our first docuseries since um, Lorena. Yeah, I think it's our first one since Lorena. Uh, When did we do the Bundy tapes? 
Oh, it was that uh, before Lorena. Yeah. So it's the next one since then. I do like scary, creepy monsters jumping out at you stuff. Uh, October Halloween time is my favorite time. But this is way scarier because real scary is the scariest. It's reality. It appears to be about the control of evangelical groups in the United States as a left-leaning youngster growing up. Mm -hmm. And especially after I'd kind of process my religious time the my biggest fear based upon where i grew up was like would there be some kind of theocracy you know because mm-hmm. uh, because there is sometimes a struggle in the south where so many people uh go to churches and there's so many mega churches and all throughout the south and midwest where the influence of those communities overwhelm maybe sometimes basic human rights or people with a lot of power who think they're doing something amazing the worst shit you do is the shit that's done when you think you're doing the right thing. Oh, yeah. Um, we've talked about it before. Righteousness is the most dangerous. When you feel like you have God on your side. Then you can do anything. Those are some of the worst people. I like um, sometimes when people uh, like a psychopath or sociopath goes to prison and they find God. It's like this scenario where... It's not like they go, okay, I found religion, so I'm going to go to chapel and read the Bible and say prayers. More like the attitude is, okay, I found religion, I'm the preacher now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That process of power. Some of my favorite Jesus quotes are when he's pissed at people changing money up in his temples. Yeah. And Johnny and I have talked about that a lot. Johnny would probably be a good person to co-host this, but... With docuseries, my wife, who's always by my side, (laughs) is always the best. And we're discussing a five-part docuseries you can watch on Netflix called The Family. And it's directed by Jesse Moss. And we haven't watched it yet. Nope. It, It seems to be about political power and the things that probably control a lot more than we think they do. The The creepiness is the reality of it. I feel like it's something that we have known about, or there's been conspiracy theories about people controlling behind the scenes that we don't know what's going on. I know that we know people who truly believe that we don't really have choices in things like elections. Sure. That it's all sort of rigged in some way that none of us can ever have anything. They're mostly right. That none of us can ever control anything about any of that. There's kind of like a multi... So it's kind of hard to get into the conspiracy of it. I guess this will be about conspiracy, but there's certain in certain places because there's no federal mandate for the election process. Mm-hmm. States do their own thing. Mm-hmm. So in some states, they're literally throwing votes out. And in other states, it's uh, their, you know, parties are um, maybe defunding any challenges within their organizations and shit like that. So, it's like a multi-pronged effect. It kind of, sadly, a lot of it does seem futile. It's just you got to kind of wait till it goes through to understand how futile it is. Mm-hmm. There is sort of a, has always sort of been a conspiracy that things are controlled on some other level and that there's these secret groups and secret societies and secret initiations and dark back rooms where you tell people what they're supposed to be doing, you know, like mm-hmm. control. But then you have people like our current president who I've heard 
mention in very many different arenas that maybe he doesn't know all those things, but the people in those dark back rooms are glad he's up front because then they can do whatever they're doing more secretly behind. Like, I'm pretty sure that I saw something about that in this preview is that he's sort of the perfect president. For this group. For this group. Yeah. There was a girl, I read a piece that she wrote right after he got elected and she had worked the polls all day. And she went home and she grew up evangelical. Mm -hmm. And then she got out of the church and she became um, very liberal, very open-minded, non-religious. Okay. Or at least like not evangelical. Well, anyway, she gets home from working the polls and she saw that he was elected and her heart fell. And she said it wasn't because she was surprised, but it was because to her it was sort of like a prophecy being fulfilled Mm -hmm. because she had grown up trained up as an outspoken evangelical. Like you're taught, you know, to push certain things and answer questions certain ways, and this is what we believe. And so there had always been kind of this conversation of, we will one day have the White House. And the conversation was that it would always be like someone like Trump. Yeah. Who could be controlled. And then someone like our vice president doing controlling. There's this king in the Bible, I forget his name. But certain evangelical groups compare him to Trump Mm. and that this guy wasn't really like within the spheres of the the faith, Uh but was able to be utilized people around him to do, I guess, what they say is God's bidding, Mm. almost like he's like a tool. And but of course, they ignore all the shitty shit that he does. But the fact that our president is a straight up fucking psychopath. And as far as how it's kind of hard not to feel so disillusioned, especially with the political process, it would appear to me that when you talk to people on an individual basis, the general idea of the country is we seem to be socially, collectively progressive. Mm -hmm. We seem to veer towards a progressive uh, path, but the control is all more on the right. Mm-hmm. It's, and if it's not religious, then it's complete corporate control to the point where even the Democrats, as they describe themselves, will always you get this narrative that's like, no, we got to go for the moderates, the middle, you know, mm-hmm. instead of saying, pushing forth progressive ideas that when it's not an election year, most of the Democratic base agrees on. Yeah. And yet people kind of pivot in this way. It's like multi pronged levels of sabotage that Mm -hmm. makes it very hard and you know we're just kind of like spitballing shit we don't really know exactly what we're going to watch do we not exactly it's going to be political and it's going to be about control and we're probably going to be depressed when i was going to say we might not sleep very well tonight cool well that's just what creeptober is all about isn't it all right let's get into it you know before we go ginger and i discussed we did the herzog short pilgrimage Ah. which is all about expressions of belief. And we talked about how the potency of belief we saw in that and how it was scary. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about a group of people who have political power who believe in this prophecy, but their belief in that perpetuates the prophecy that they're going for. Yeah. They're creating it themselves. Oh yeah. Self-actualized. And they give God the credit. But of course, if anything is against them, It's the devil that gets the credit, right? It's also black and white and easy. So easy. (laughs) Let's get on with this bullshit. Part one of the family. 
by what's this motherfucker's name? Something. Jesse Moss. Jesse Moss. Hello, Jesus. Jesus, children. Jesus loves you. Jesus, children. Hello, children. Jesus loves you of America. Are you hearing what he's saying? Are you feeling what you're praying? Are you healing, praying, feeling what you say inside? Oh man, what a first episode that was. Part one of five. What's this episode called? Submersion. Submersion. Now, it gets to this point of where there is a... Skip to the very end just for a moment. Sure. The thing that I that I didn't think was really that much of a secret was that there's a right, the religious right has a goal to get what they want regardless of democracy. Right. That part seems fairly obvious to me if you look at the political state of things today. Mm-hmm. But I think what surprised me about what we learned, at least about the initialness of this organization, was how they represented that religion. It, this this isn't exactly your down-home Christianity, no. vacation Bible school kind of stuff like that most people experience. Yeah, not at all. It's very Jesus-based. Specifically Jesus-based. But just based. Jesus. It's, it's literally Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They hand out books that just say Jesus on it. And it has It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. And, and they call it, Acts of ambassadors. Acts of ambassadors. And we hear that word ambassadors again and again through this. But those are the five books. And those are the only books they're concerned with. Yeah. And it seems like they bounce around the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. But this is the the focused core of it. We meet a guy. His name is Jeff Charlotte. He wrote a book. Guess what that book's Two called? Books. Oh, go ahead. Guess what that book's called? Oh, The Family? Yeah. Oh, cool. What do you know? This stuff is kind of based on that. Yeah, so the way this is set up, it is an interview with Jeff Charlotte. They will accuse me of betraying their trust. And in a fundamental way, I did. They want to be a secret, invisible organization. I wrote two books about them. But this story is no longer just about my experience. And there's another gentleman they're interviewing as well. I never caught his name. It took a long time before I realized just who the family was and the influence they have had in the leadership of our country. He seemed to be very sympathetic to this organization. So far, he hasn't said anything negative about this organization. He's just been talking about his time there. We'll see where that goes. And Jeff speaks more objectively, but analytically towards it. Yes. And so there are reenactments, but I will wager to go ahead and say... Best reenactments we've ever seen. Not too shabby at all. It sort of feels like a movie that's being narrated by a real person who actually went through the thing. It's almost like they wanted to make a movie, but you don't want to make a movie because then people can say, oh, well, they made that shit up. So they made a movie, but they also had him tell the entire story. Right. And it's all the the, the scenes that they reenact are from his book. You're right. And yeah, I'm with you. I'm actually into these reenactments. And one movie we haven't watched yet is the Errol Morris series, Wormwood. Oh, yeah. Which, why have we not gotten to that I yet? have no idea. I'm very disappointed at our lack of Errol Morris coverage. But it has 
that same element to that. It's kind of similar to. This. I've heard it's really good. And so, but yeah, we we got some dramatic reenactments, and they're good. We got James fucking Cromwell. Too many Muslim babies could be a problem. Yeah, who plays Doug Coe, right? Who is the silent, hidden leader of this group. Kind of hidden. Well, you can see him in photos and things, but they talk about at one point how he had this guy, the guy who's favorable towards the family that's being interviewed. He actually tells this story about how Doug Cole put him aside one time and he's like, I want you to Google me and make sure that every link is taken down that mentions me. Yeah. And so it's this idea, the guy really saw it as a way of like, oh man, this is so great. Like he's doing all this great work, but he doesn't want to take- He's so humble. Yeah, he doesn't want to take accolades for that. Like let's do good work, but let's do it in secret because we don't need people to praise us. But that's also like, that's fucking shady. That's shady. It's all shady, but he doesn't see it that way. But it's all like what seems like humility is also uh, sidestepping the methods of accountability. Yes. Because this guy obviously has some influence. So a little bit about Charlotte. Yeah. He got into this because he was starting starting to write. He was a writer. He wasn't totally a journalist yet, but he was kind of experimenting slash investigating different sorts of religions. He was really curious about different people's versions of Jesus, different religions, cults. And he had some, I guess, family friends come to him and they're like, our son has gone off to join what we think is a cult. Will you go check it out and just go talk to him? Because maybe he'll talk to you. Interesting. And he goes and meets with the guy. And this is when we really realized we were in for some serious dramatic reenactment. And this is Luke. Right. This is our friend Luke. He kind of looks like he should be a surfer. Yeah. Instead of a disciple of Jesus. So you think he's pretty babelicious? I mean, yeah. He's a hunk. Sure. A, a total smoke show. I guess. All right, go on. He's cute. <laughs> the actor portraying Luke is cute. I don't know what he really we'll looks like. We'll get an interview with that actor. Oh, cool. So Luke basically is like, here's what I'm doing. And he knows more about this dude. Like, he kind of knows where he comes from, too. But he's like, hey, here's what I'm doing, and why don't you come visit? And so it's Jeff Charlotte. Yeah. He goes through this whole interview process, and he says he's really honest about everything. Because, again, he's not trying to be a reporter yet. He's not, like, going in investigative journalism. He just wants to see what it's about. And they let him in. He's let in with people around his age, these young college-age men who are on their way to careers and shit. Yeah, it's like a Jesus frat. It's a Jesus frat, yeah. And he talks about how there was all kinds of people here. He he himself was like half Jewish. Mm -hmm. He talked about how there were non-religious people. Non-religious people don't make themselves do religious things. Okay, I just want to say that. Yeah, I guess he, in my mind, because they brought it up a few times, it sort of didn't matter what past you came from. Like if you were brought up religious, if you were, or if you, what religious, what religion you were brought up in. It just mattered that you wanted to be there and serve because everything was about serving. So they lived behind this house. So the house was called Ivanwald. That was like the boys dorm. Down the street, there was a girls dorm. The house, the headquarters that they served, that they cleaned the toilets, fucking cleaned the yard, whatever they were doing was called the Cedars. Yeah. And that was like this big, huge house that kind of looks like the White House. Right. Done up like 19th century. And James Cromwell is evil. The evilest. Jeff starts to realize after his time there, one, that he, he points out how they talk. They have like these fellowships. Mm-hmm. They hang out with each other. They pray with each other. They'll go out and shoot some hoopies. 
mm-hmm. some b-ball. God loves the person who can make a three-pointer. And then drop and then drop some prayers. Yep. But they don't re- but he points out that they don't they really only talk about these certain Jesus, specifically Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah. And they also talk about being chosen, how everyone is chosen. And also they don't talk about the devil too much. They they seem to leave out the narratives of transitioning into like sanctimony. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He says they also don't talk about the Old Testament. Until but, this one part. Yeah, there's this older guy that comes in. You, you picture this guy. He, there's a, This is the, the corniest part of the dramatic reenactment, I think, when old guy comes in. He's like, hey, let's talk about the Old Testament. Hey, let me rap with you, young men. <laughs> yeah. About the word in, of Christ. Just, comes in and just stares at them all, and he's like, you're here to become how to be leaders. Yeah. Or some bullshit. He talks about leadership, and he talks about... Yeah, he actually says... Well, he actually says first... Who would you consider good from the Old Testament? Moses. Noah. David. King David, that's a good one. What would you say made him a good guy? His faith was so strong. King David liked to do some really bad things. And this was a guy who slept with another man's wife, Bathsheba, right? And he basically murdered her husband. And this guy is supposedly one of our heroes? This is the first mention of the Old Testament. Right, and these guys are thrown out like Noah, Moses, and somebody says King David. And he goes, ooh, King David, why was he good? And finally, our friend Jeff says he was chosen. And the guy's like, exactly. He's good because he was chosen. And then it becomes this thing, he goes, this is the most fucked up thing. Let's say I hear one of you rape three little girls and now you're sitting here at Ivanwald. What would I think of you? Go straight into child rape. Rape three children and then come live at Ivanwald. What do I think about you? And our sweet friend Luke says, That I'm a terrible person? That uh, we're terrible people? And he goes, That's not why I'm here. It's not my job to judge you. I'm here for one thing. What is that? Jesus? No. Oh, no. No, there's no judgment here. There's no judgment here, just Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> we get speeches of Doug Coe throughout this as well. We get reenactments of Doug Coe. We, there's this one reenactment. Doug Coe is this, they start to notice that all these leaders start coming to this building that they hang around. World with. leaders, senators. And they're like little young boys for these dudes, essentially. And uh, there's a reenactment scene where James Cromwell playing Doug Coe is like, The Muslim has too many babies. We killed too many of ours. What is the best way for the Christians to win the race against the Muslims? Too many Muslim babies could be a problem. But your focus on labels, Christian and Muslim, gets in the way of your prayers. They're talking about the problem of Muslims having too many babies. Oh yeah, someone comes up to him and goes, Muslims are having more babies than we are. And suddenly the Muppet Babies theme song (laughs) popped in my head, but with the word Muslim babies. Muslim babies. So many babies. (laughs) Muslim babies. When your country is legalized abortion and we're killing all our babies. Just close your eyes and start a war. In the Middle East. God. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, but James Cromwell basically says, okay, not James Cromwell, David Coe basically says. (laughs) Doug Coe, right? Doug Coe. You know, actually. Doug Allen Coe? I actually, (laughs) 
accidentally said James Cromwell, but I would go ahead and say that because James Cromwell is playing this person, he's one of the good guys. Because he's try- he's like, yes, I'll be in this movie to expose this family. So, D- Doug Co. Yeah. Okay. Doug Co. No relation to David Allen Co. as far as I know. Or Tyler Mahan Co. I'm not oh. Sure. I don't think they're related. Maybe we should make sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'll text Just give him, him a call. <laughs> okay, but Doug Co. Okay. So, but then he basically says to the man... You shouldn't be thinking about it as Muslim versus Christian because you really don't need to be thinking about it as what religion because it's just Jesus. Because the other thing is the way this started was with like 19 businessmen and their plan was to get one person from every country. So this family is not really playing one religion against the other. They're playing who are the most powerful people that we can get in our group, right? From what we've seen so far, wouldn't care if someone was Muslim as long as they worked with them. Mm-hmm. They don't care where you come from or actually what you even believe as long as you agree that you're all working together for this, like, stronghold. Right. And then he, you know, engages Jeff and they talk about unity. And then there's this idea of covenants. And so when you make a covenant with someone, like, how strong that is. And this is, again, maybe the third time they've mentioned Hitler when we get to this point, And they're talking about... How, who else made covenants besides Jesus? Hitler. Hitler made a covenant. The mafia made a covenant. Look at the strength of their bonds. It's a powerful thing. You see, with them, it's honor. With us, it's Jesus. Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, Osama bin Laden. The family possesses a weapon those leaders lacked. These very much Jesus freak, extremely powerful people involved in politics. I mean, everybody was coming to presidents of other countries. Mm-hmm. Jerry the King Lawler was there. Come on, let me have a smooth. No, what? He's a king. He will, He probably was there. <laughs> but, but they're kind of, in a way, like almost idealizing these yes. organized groups. They're, they speak with people like even communist dictators who would seemingly be ideologically opposing to what they claim to stand for. They speak with them in admiration. But they say that the failure of those groups is because they were based solely in honor. And they're based on Jesus. Yeah. So they are based on Jesus and Jesus only. And that's when he says the key phrase. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. Let's talk a little theologically here for a minute. Okay. They utilize uh, people from the Old Testament to kind of have this justification of that you can be chosen and do bad things if it leads to the greater good. Mm -hmm. This is how politicians sleep at night who are religious, I guess, apparently. Now, the story of Jesus, especially the story of the apostles, in which these young men are kind of compared to the apostles at some point. Mm -hmm. A lot of these people, they were like tax collectors and shit like that. A lot of them were like bad people. Or just maybe people who never thought to do anything like this. And like they were transformed. And many of the apostles even had their names changed when they went to follow Christ. There was transformativeness. There mm-hmm. was something you used to be that was wicked or against your community. And to become to, to serve the Jesus, the Son of God. Mm-hmm. But they ignore this notion of, they kind of make excuses around the transformative process. Yeah, you sort of don't really have to transform, I guess, if you're powerful enough. They seem to all be choosing each other, but they're claiming that God is choosing them. 
Mm-hmm. So they have it that the power of God is in their hands. And this David Coe uh, is stated in this to be the closest to God. Yeah, they said the closest knew. living person to God. And they say that he's a brother. So they act as though he's equal, but he's like the first brother. Yes. He's like the head brother. I think we're doing pretty good, but our notes are very loose for this. Notes are very loose. We're not going to go too hard on it. This, this is our style for series. Yeah, I, I did want to talk about, there is this, they do talk about the women, right? Yeah. We don't see the women very much, but they have sort of a mixer with the women from their house, which is called Potomac Point. They come over, they have a lot of like the wives of the heads of this group who are sort of like their den mothers watching them very closely. Like boys and girls don't be alone together. Like, of course, there's no sex, drugs, alcohol, nothing. But Jeff learns by talking to these different women that, you know, while the men are being raised up to be these mentors and leaders and they're going to eventually work in the political system and they're going to, you know, be lights for this group, the women are literally just taught to serve men. Just serve men. You're going to be the wives of these important men. Like it's very patriarchal hierarchy where God is at the top, followed by men, women serve men. Men's the head of the church, men's the head of the household, men's the head of the world. He asks this girl in one of the reenactments, you know, does it ever bother you? And she's like, no, they spend their time loving us. Who's going to love them? Which I didn't understand. Yeah. What that sentiment. I mean, it feels like regurgitated bullshit. Of course. Basically that these men are trying to save the world. So the women have to take care of the men who are trying to save the world. Is sort of what I got more from it. But. Now, men in this group. Yeah. Are, it's spoken that their loyalty is to each other above everything else. Yes. Other things can be important, but nothing is above them. Mm-hmm. And Luke, his girlfriend, he, we see him talking on the phone to a girl. And at some point, his girlfriend is sexually assaulted. So Luke, the the surfer Christian hunk, he, of course, does what any good boyfriend should do and goes to get a plane to fly out to go see her. Yeah. And that pretty much ends his time in the organization. Well, yeah, because the guys were like, why would you even go? What, what, where was she? What was she doing? Why did this happen to her? Like, it was her fault. Right. 100. So she's a Jezebel. Luke's fiance is a Jezebel. And he shouldn't go because he should stay and be loyal to them. Now, Jeff, throughout his experience, um, has asked how this power structure worked. Like, mm-hmm. what's the structure of all this? And everyone's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jeff. <laughs> Let's go play basketball. Well, before Luke leaves, he hands him a folder. And in this folder seems to be diagrams of hierarchical structures Mm -hmm. that seem to be a map for basically a theocracy, essentially, like men who are attempting to build a theocracy. Yeah, that's where he finds out the 19 men trying to get 100 countries, trying to build the group. A lot of point I make, especially when people on the right argue on behalf of like religious law being a parent Mm -hmm. and, uh, or saying like ridiculous fucking shit like how the existence of say gay people violates their religious rights. That's fucking stupid. The, this notion of conservatism limiting government that completely contradicts that. And what I often explain to a lot of people who are really hard up on the religious side of the right wing shit is like you're not really looking for a democracy. Mm-hmm. You're looking for like a a social theocracy in which. Where it's centered completely around those who follow a specific religious type. Mm. And that. That's th- what this is. Essentially, yeah. And this group, 
seems to coming out and saying it this group is like yep that's what we're trying to do yeah let's go on to the second episode okay you getting creeped out yet my stomach was hurting at the end of it are you sure you just don't have gas <laughs> maybe let's oh, do it. the mic it didn't have me You know, we're we're getting up there in age, you know. Yeah. Some things just don't do it the way it used to happen. The only thing that can make me come now, <laughs> prayer. Oh, God. Prayer, honey. You know, if you literally believed in Christianity, mm-hmm. you know, Sky Buddy, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. who I don't believe in, but I, I respect his campaign style. And um, the little guy downstairs in the red pajamas. Yeah. Um, You got to figure you'll go to hell if you become a politician, truly, right? You Yeah, you would think so. This club we're talking about in this uh, documentary series, The Family, it's like the justification club, basically. You kind of can't do anything wrong if you're part of this club. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't. In the last episode we watched, full disclosure, it's been days since we recorded <laughs> the first yeah. episode. Where he's talking about like, well, what if uh, you raped children? Um, yeah. What do you think I'd think of you then? That I'm a terrible person? No. 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 Where we start off in this piece? We start off, they're playing the battle hymn of the Republic. Oh, yeah. How's that go again? Glory, glory, hallelujah. Yeah, I believe so. They're playing sort of an instrumental version, I think. But met, yes. Met her in the bank with U.S. Army tank. Oh, we remember glory, the, the... Glory, hallelujah. That's not... No. Teacher ain't my ruler. <laughs> met her in a bank with the U.S. Army tank and she ain't my teacher no more. Did you ever have that? Uh-uh. The first time I heard the tune to Battle Hymn of the Republic was probably this school song that i we don't remember through. that no i guess we were cooler oh, okay <laughs> yeah we wouldn't sing songs about um using the military industrial complex to kill teachers okay cool cool i'm not about that now but, no teachers are great but back in what but we were foolish and young back then so we're at the national prayer breakfast Oh, right. The National Prayer Breakfast has been held for, I don't know, forever. And it's always the first Thursday in February. The farthest back we see it go is Nixon. Yeah, I think they say the 50s, though. I think they say it started in the 50s. Was Doug Coe all the way back to that far? No, he wasn't the founder of it. He just started being in control at some point. They make it like Doug Coe is the center of uh, Christian evangelical political universe going on here. Yeah, I mean, Doug Coe... So Doug Coe... I'm sorry, I said Doug Coe wasn't the start of it. Doug Coe wasn't the first, like, head of the family. But he took over being the head of the family at some point. And assuming at that same time, he then became in charge of the National Prayer Breakfast. Yes. Which every president has participated in. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And it's every year. Until I'm president. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> when I'm president, I'm going to be like the fuck your national prayer breakfast. <laughs> it's too early for one. There was a year when it kind of came out that he was in charge of national prayer breakfast. And he was also that year, they said that he was one of the top 25 evangelicals in some magazine, I guess. Mm-hmm. So people have known about Doug Coe, sort of. But again, there's a lot of talk in this one about how it's a secret. Yeah, and there's footage of people kissing Doug Coe's ass. Uh, Bill Clinton, Elder George H.W. There's even like a current interview with Jimmy Carter sucking his dick. Doug Coe was a fine Christian, and his role within the the Washington political community, you might say, was to find those who shared his Christian faith and to offer guidance for us. Talking about how great he was. Who do you think is harder to get an interview? Would it be uh, Jimmy Carter or Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters? I think Jimmy Carter would do any interview you wanted to. Yeah, and Dave Grohl too. You could just tell him. Oh yeah, he is in everything, isn't he? Yeah, pretend Doug Coe started a punk band and and you're praising it. And then Dave Grohl would be like, Doug Coe changed my life, man. He really changed the game around. This whole episode is very, very different. There's only a tiny bit of reenactment at the beginning where we see that our author who wrote the books that these are sort of based on left yeah. the and place. It, and people are talking about him like, oh, he uh, was like a reporter, like yeah. a wolf. Yeah, some of the other folks they're interviewing are talking about how they had kind of a wolf in the hen house situation. But... It quickly then changes to just a string of stories about different political people and how when they've done something that might be perceived as bad yeah, or is perceived as bad, the family sort of covers it up for them. Yes, because they're chosen, because which means they're chosen. they can do whatever they want. In the eyes of the family. Automatically forgiven. And Doug Coe's always like, it's not about me. Uh, he's not even Southern. I'm Southern, so generic voice says a Southern accent. Mm-hmm. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. But this guy obviously wields so much power here. All these stories are bookended by this story about Senator John Ensign. Yeah, from uh, Nevada, I believe. And they're talking about John Ensign and how he's an example of someone who's kind of coming up or was coming up and could have been potentially a president one day and people were really kind of watching him to see what he was all about when he was younger. And then they start talking about how Republicans and Democrats come together in prayer. Man. uh, This was kind of all over the place for me. This felt like a very different documentary. This one, it was back and forth. Right. Right. Cause there's, cause it's leaning on more things that you can get contemporary footage of. Yeah. So Ensign, where we first talked to his Senate aide, Doug something, not Doug Coe, a different Hampton. Doug, Hampton. And I'm like, why are we talking to this guy? Yeah. At first. It takes a while to get to why he's there. Because at some point I'm like, this guy got burned somehow. How did this guy get burned? And he was in the family. He was in this little group that we described last time. Yeah, he and Ensign both were. This fraternal uh Group of men. I remember seeing a statue of Jesus washing the feet of someone. And I'm like, y'all motherfuckers ain't doing that. Y'all ain't going out <laughs> to the poor and washing their fucking feet. Yeah. It's just so funny how they'll use that representation. But privately, they're like, 
you got to follow, be along with the wolf, you know? And I remember one of the senior brothers talking to me about the metaphor of the sheep and the wolf. He says, you think Christ came for the sheep, right? And I said, yes, yes, of course. He said, you know, it's good to love the sheep, but who's going to love the wolf? And you know what? If you can get the wolf alongside you, we'll forget everyone else in line pretty quick. Basically, the fellowships thing was, we don't give a fuck about the sheep. We need to align ourselves with the wolves because then we're in control. Fuck the poor. Fuck the poor. That's basically what they're saying. They don't care about anybody that doesn't have power. Yes. If you're not powerful, they don't have time for you. Then there's a flying saucer. I swear I saw a flying saucer <laughs> fly over this building. It was, it was, it was the... Was it the White House? I don't or, think it was the White House. Or that mansion that I looks like it, the White House. Yeah, it was the the mansion. The mansion's called the... Something with a C. Uh, the Christ Hole or something. <laughs> I, it looked... Maybe it was a bird. I don't know. I don't know. I was writing something down. But uh, I was writing Wolf King. And then Bob goes, was that a flying saucer? I think it is. I got it on the brain lately. Maybe it was. I'm going to Area 51, by the way. Yeah? It hasn't happened by the time we record this. I'm going. I'm bringing all my weapons. Ooh. We're going to take Can it. Can we talk about this later? Well, it's for our other podcast. Oh. Bob Storm's Area 51. <laughs> okay. They well, start talking about Doug's sons. Doug's sons? Doug oh. Coe has these two sons who sort of start becoming influential. And he kind of they kind of become sort of his right-hand men. Like when he's not around, sometimes they will step in. It's interesting how the the children of powerful people also become successful. That's wild. I know, man. Wow. They must have really earned it every step of the way. They also talk a lot more about C Street in this one. Yeah. Not K Street. K Street's where all the lobbyists go, where where in different ways that everyone fucks us over. But C Street, yes, where Democrats and Republicans and faith come together. Yeah, so reach across the aisle. Yeah, they were talking about were the meetings at C Street? Because they were talking about how there would be these bipartisan prayer groups that would happen on like Wednesday and Thursday mornings. And they wouldn't talk about politics or their jobs, but they would just come together across lines and pray together. And I don't know where those meetings were held. But then they were also talking about C Street was a place where you could go and live. And it was also bipartisan. They didn't care if you're Republican or Democrat, as long as you wanted to know about Jesus. And we're rich and powerful. And we're rich and powerful. The other thing about C Street is that it was considered a church. You know what C stands for, right? Uh, Cunt. I almost said that. Oh. But then I didn't because I didn't know they what shortened they were going it. for. They shortened it. It's because that's who all these guys are. Burn! Take that! <laughs> Truth to power! So yeah, so people start moving into C Street and this woman explains it at some point. It's like, 12 bedrooms and nine bathrooms and a chapel and some offices. And it's basically like a big a sort of communal, <laughs> communal living space for all these men, all these like senators. There's the an altar that catches children's blood. Oh, yeah, that's downstairs. Pool. Yeah, that's downstairs. Um, I wrote bipartisan sleepover because it was just like <laughs> we're all we're all just hanging out and loving Jesus. Man, that the words bipartisan just scare the shit out. Reach across the aisle. Those are the most dreaded words in American politics. I know. That's how we get fucked the worst. They say here something I thought was very interesting that 
the whole idea of the fellowship and the family and C Street and all these like groups, they talk about how the strength is in the small groups and that the groups themselves, the groups themselves don't take actions. They seek common ground. So again, this whole bipartisan reaching across the aisle, we're all going to work together. We're all about Jesus. They seek this common ground and then action grows from their meeting. So they would say that these groups are just about Jesus and they're not planning anything or scheming anything, but because they are coming together, things then do come out of that that are obviously from God. It's a big old secret who lives on C Street. Yes. It's like the MPAA. C C is for secrets. C is for secrets. (laughs) (laughs) Can I tell the Johnnies? (laughs) Can I, tell the, can I tell the John Ensign story? I have to write that down because. <laughs> yeah. That's the funniest thing you've ever said. Really? No. But it's well, really, I mean, it's can you remember funny. anything else lately? Again? I mean. Oh, uh, uh, it, was a good, it was a good one. I want to tell the John Ensign story. Please Doug do. Hampton. Doug Hampton's telling the story about his buddy John Ensign, who's mm. who's hot and heavy in the family. They both are their bros out. He's a Senate aide. And, uh, but guess what? Mm. Doug Hampton, we call him the ham. He's getting, he's getting cucked, bro, up in Vegas. John Ensign is sleeping with his wife, Carol. Cindy. Cindy, I'm sorry. Uh, Cindy. <laughs> Sorry, Cindy. <laughs> Sorry, Cindy. When we're recounting how you're unfaithful to your husband, we should at least get your name right. Right. Anyway, Ensign's taking her to the bone zone. He's Mr. Religious. I'm so perfect. I'm going to be president. Mm-hmm. And he's going to the bone zone with Doug Hampton's wife. Who, who considers himself to be his best friend. Yeah. And Doug goes to the crew, the clique, the family, and he's like, Yo, homie here, our buddy, he's like screwing around on my wife. And I think they try to talk to John about it. They try to deal with it inside. But they tell Doug, he's like, don't let this out. Don't let this shit out. What are you talking about? And then so Doug's like, okay, they're going to do something. And I hope John's going to at least stop fucking my wife. It doesn't happen. They make him write a letter. Yeah. They make him write a letter. Like which, John has to write this letter to Cindy that's basically like, I'm not going to take you to the bone zone anymore. Yeah. And then he, and then it, he, and then he put in parentheses, wink, wink, <laughs> meet you down at uh, the Harris Casino. Right. I'll be wearing the orange mustache. No. I'll leave it on. Um, Ew. <laughs> and so Doug's like, what the fuck's going on, man? Not Doug Coe. But Doug Hampton. Doug Hampton. I'm really good at this story. Yeah. Eventually, he just gets shut down because he compl- he's complaining too much. John Ensign, uh, oh, he he's ready to blow up John Ensign's spot. He's like, look, no one's going to do anything about this. I'm going to go to this. And he goes to Fox News. He writes a letter to them. Yeah. A lot of letter writing. Yeah. And he, he writes a formal letter. <laughs> Fox doesn't run it. But John Ensign's got word that this is going down because Fox fucking tipped them off. I'm not surprised. Powers that be at Fox. Not surprised. And so. I hate Fox News. So John Ensign's coming out. I was like, I have sinned. I'm so sorry. And Doug Hampton um, got his shit broke. But the the crew, the family, the secrets, 
See, their thing is that everyone there is chosen. Suddenly, Doug Hampton's not chosen anymore. And he lost everything, pretty much. Let's talk about this South Carolina governor. Mark Sanford. Governor of South Carolina. Governor of South Carolina, considered a friend of the fellowship. And he was someone who did such righteous things. Sanford, a conservative Republican, got national attention earlier this year when he refused to accept some of South Carolina's share of the stimulus spending. Because he thought that that would lead to slavery? That's not expounded upon. I think it, he had this weird religious justification that if you're born poor, then God wants you to be poor. Yeah, you're like already in the station you're supposed to be in. Yeah, so, you know, classic Southern governor. My state's not poor enough. So everybody was loving him. Again, looks presidential. They actually said that he sort of <laughs> seemed to be what everyone had wanted Ensign to be. So then they were like, okay, maybe he's the one. He, um... Goes missing. Yeah. All of a sudden, nobody can find Sanford. And what is a local story becomes a national story. And, you know, his wife's like, I'm not concerned. He wanted to go right and be with himself or whatever. And then other people are like, oh, he's on the Appalachian Trail. He's like getting to know himself. And everyone's sort of like spinning this as, oh, these are still good reasons why he'd be a great president. Yeah. Because he's just like taking this journey to like he's enlightenment. The, you telling me that he's putting one foot in front of the other in the goddamn trail? And Damn, then, I can't wait to vote for him. I no. can't wait till he gives me nothing. Right. But then all of a sudden he shows up and he's like, hey, dudes. Let me lay out that larger story that has attracted so many of you all here. Because as much as I did talk about going to the Appalachian Trail, that isn't where I ended up. And so the bottom line is this. I, um, I've been unfaithful to my wife. I developed um, a relationship with a, uh, which started out as a dear, dear friend from Argentina. But recently, over this last year, it developed into something much more than that. You, um, did your wife and your family know about the affair before the trip to Argentina? Yes. We've been... We've been working through this thing for about the last five months. I was up in some uh, Argentinian heat, balls deep. Yep. Now, he makes a big mistake. He makes a huge mistake. I've been to a lot of different... I was part of a group called C Street uh, when I was in Washington. It was a, uh, believe it or not, a Christian Bible study. Some folks that asked if members of Congress hard questions that um, I think were very, very important. And... Uh, I've been working with them to try and get my heart right because I've disappointed them and others. And this blows up. It blows up. Governor Sanford reports having consulted with this group, the C Street group, there's some sort of support group in Washington for men in trouble. So what's the deal with C Street? Uh, deeply religious, sort of slants toward the right wing. The House is home to a number of members of Congress. It has been reported to be run by the secretive religious group known as the family. Because... Everybody's like, oh, holy shit. Rachel, Somebody said. Rachel Maddow's doing a 47-part series on what's going on with C Street. Because first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about <laughs> Fight Club. I mean, nowadays, Rachel Maddow is blaming Russia for a cable going out and begging to bomb Venezuela. But back then, she sometimes tried a little harder. Anyway. So first rule of C Street is you don't talk about C Street and he fucked it up. So then people start looking at C Street and they interview this man who, religious man, I don't know if he's a priest, preacher, I don't know what he was, but 
his issue was, hey, this C Street thing calls itself a church. C is for church. Secret church. Secret cunt church. (laughs) (laughs) So what what is the major thing you might want to claim yourself as a church for? Tax exemption. Tax exemption. And so they get this guy, Marcus Owens, who's a tax lawyer, to start looking into C Street because the religious folks kind of band together and they're like, we don't want this to be a church because this church is taking advantage and a church lets people in and a church is not secretive. This is a club. Like, this is a secret club and they shouldn't be a church. So... They start looking into it, and there's something called, like, the Family Foundation, Inc., or the Foundation Fellowship, Foundation Fellowship, I don't know, but they have, like, a name that's under this. And then there's this other thing called the Wilderforce Foundation, and I didn't write all this down, but the farther you get, they're basically funneling money through groups such as Godly Guys with Guns. (laughs) I don't know, Sanford just wanted a target on his back but then he like held holds another press conference in front of c street yeah and they didn't like, even say what he said they basically were just like then yeah. he shows up in front of c street and they're like dude dude we're trying to be a secret organization over here and even after all that he blows their shit up multiple times people are looking into them for now tax evasion and they want him to resign because he's uh lying about no one Never lie about hiking on the Appalachian Trail. People will never forgive you for that. It's unforgivable. Yeah. And so everybody's like, you need to leave. Look, Appalachian Trail, hike it or shut the fuck up. (laughs) The family (laughs) goes to him and says, you ever heard of somebody named King David? Yeah. Again, with King David. I've been doing a lot of soul searching on that front and... um, what I find interesting is the story of David and the way in which uh, he fell mightily, fell in very, very significant ways, but then picked up the pieces and built from there. But you know what? It was okay because he was chosen. Yeah. So chosen, he, chosen, chosen. You can do whatever you want. And so Sanford was like, hey, I'm not leaving. I'm going to keep being the governor. You're like King David, but also shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> and then we go back. This is the end. We go back to Doug Hampton. A bunch of stuff happened with the whole John Ensign and Doug situation. But basically, the only person who got in trouble was Doug Hampton. Yeah. He didn't have to serve any prison time. But there was some shady things that happened. And so he did have some probation. His life was sort of not ruined, I think, but put on hold for a bit. And he's like finding himself. But even after all of that, and even after how involved the family was in that and how much they didn't help him, he still was like, I'm so grateful for Doug Coe in my life and the things he taught me and they're made me a better man. No, they're still making me a better man. It reminded me of people who leave Scientology but still love L. Ron Hubbard. Well, yeah, because same thing. Like those kind of folks will say, yeah, maybe there are problems with it, but the teachings are still good. He actually says Jesus is the answer, but Jesus and Capitol Hill don't mix. Yeah. My sympathy... I, I mean, I agree with that statement. I do too. But I don't find myself having a lot of sympathy for Doug Hampton because you kind of come to this conclusion after you're good and burned. Like if your family did do some shit to John Ensign to kind of put him in his place in the way that you wanted, then you'd probably still think that religion and 
power mix on Capitol If it had come out his way. If it come out your way. So, Doug, I mean, as a human being who gets his heart broken, I can understand and relate there, but... Sorry, dude. Little words at the end. C Street did partially lose their tax exemption in 2009. And the fellowship denies connection to C Street, although tax records would indicate otherwise. Come on, man. You lost tax. I mean, I'm sure they got it back by now. I don't know. But well, you- I'm sure we'll find out. We still have three more episodes to go. Puppet master sleeping on the job. All right. <laughs> Christ, you chose them. Give them tax exemption. <laughs> Yeah, Christ. Come on. (laughs) Come on, Christ. (laughs) Jesus. Vierde, Vierde was Norwegian. Yeah. And he came over here and was like, why ain't y'all praying? Yeah, Norway invented prayer. Yeah, they totally invented prayer. And so, oh, first of all, I would like to mention that as soon as this started, Trump was on the screen talking. Bing, 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 they're cleaning up. And our dog, Hank, was so mad about it. (laughs) Hank does not like President Trump. Bing, bong. In that hard, hard style. That Russia brought to communism. Uh, now they got a hard, hard style of bringing it to uh, a pseudo-capitalistic theocracy. We, we talked to a Russian dude. And he, he grew up in Russia where yeah. you could get arrested for having a Bible. It seems like, look, I'm a lefty. I'm one of those goddamn lefties, right? Yeah. It does seem like a bad idea to ban religion. It's like people can will just be that. You're just going to empower it. I mean, if you tell people, if you arrest people for it, that's this is what Christians love persecution complexes, man. Actually, all religions do. But yes. Yes. There's one second where Abraham goes to Eisenhower and is like, let's do this prayer breakfast. And Eisenhower was like, no, because we don't mix church and state. For a second. For Eisen- a second. Eisenhower was like, uh, let's see, uh, Constitution. And Eisenhower was also the one uh, president, as he was leaving office, gave a speech warning us to not go hard into the military-industrial complex, a general. So Eisenhower had these, he would have these moments where he's like, hey, I'm going to say something that makes a lot of fucking sense. Ah, let's go and do the prayer breakfast. Yeah, because then he realized, oh, hold up, this could be powerful the 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 fear of global communism by the western world was fever pitch in american history at this time you know we were talking in the second bit of this about how they don't care about the poor people but the original abram abraham thing was like called the idea yeah and it was focused on poor people because he came over as an immigrant and wasn't given like anything his goal was basically to pray for good leadership, Democrats and Republicans, to help everybody. But somewhere along the line... Because you can't do that at home, you know. That got lost. Sure. That is, were they talking about Abraham? Who came to America and started a labor union and then ended up 
crushing labor unions. There's so many fucking Russians in this episode. They kind of look the same, don't they? Except for Maria Butina. I'm a representative of Russian Federation here, and uh, I am a chairman of the Right to Bear Arms. I mean, let me tell you something. Women holding weapons? Ping, ping. I get it. <laughs> I get it why these dudes got honeypotted by Maria Butina. You knew who she was. I didn't. I don't know her. Oh, it's a fun story. Yeah, I'm going to let you take that one. But before we even get there, there's just a lot of talk about uh, starting the prayer breakfast, the importance of the prayer breakfast. Eisenhower was like, I shouldn't do it, but it might be good to fight the Cold War. Yeah. Well, yes, it was a Cold War going on. How is a prayer breakfast going to help fight the Cold War? Because those fucking communists are so goddamn godless, Angela. It's literally being the being so paranoid of this thing that you've got to embody the complete opposite of it. At every extreme, even to like shut down shit like labor unions and Mm -hmm. stuff. Even things that can kind of coexist in our society without really being the same as Russian culture in the way they do it. Mm -hmm. But it's an excuse and uh, to be the complete opposite of that. And it fucking worked because hell, like a lot of uh, your old com, your favorite comic book heroes back in the day, grew up fighting Russian supervillains. So and but in a way that also makes Russia such an influence on our culture in this weird black and white bizarre way. Yeah, they oh they also show clips of Billy Graham going to Russia. Yeah, and talking to everybody. I don't have a whole lot of notes in this one, so if I skip something you want to talk about, let me know. But by 1969, Abraham dies. Yeah, and at that point, it's like who's going to be our leader? Enter Doug Coe. Doug Coe. And Doug Coe was like squeaky clean looking Christian straight laced motherfucker per- who just like shot straight up through the ranks. Really good at portraying fake modesty. I want to run everything, but I don't want anyone to know who I am feeling. And he's the one that actually made the organization a non-organization because it was an organization under Abraham. It was called the International Christian Leadership And then it became the Fellowship Foundation, which is what I was trying to remember earlier. So that is still technically sort of the name of the organization. But as far as Doug Coe is concerned, they're a non-entity. There's no organization. And that he's the one who said, it's just the family. Jesus plus nothing. Yeah, fam. Abraham was still there until 1969. It's kind of like what we guessed earlier. The prayer breakfast started in 1953 Mm. and has happened every year since then. And it's like this public ritual. I mean, we knew it was happening. It came from Norway. Mm. They're setting them up. They start setting up prayer breakfast in Russia. There's like all these countries. They list like Ethiopia. They were talking about, was it footage from a prayer breakfast in Russia? Where they uh, the showed first, the first one because Russians like just so like low rent gangster at all times. They start fighting and they're like throwing <laughs> shit at each other at the first prayer breakfast oh, in Russia. Look, if uh, if American prayer breakfasts are like this, I'll I'll look. I'll turn my head. I'll look a blind eye except to watch you guys. This well, time. it was only one time. It was the first parliamentary prayer breakfast, is what they called it. The Russians are a and special, they fought for an hour. Special people. But then they came back together and they do they do a parliamentary parliamentary prayer breakfast like once a month is what they said, at least for a few years. But after that first one that kind of went to shit, apparently they got it together 
and started praying. Mm-hmm. And then we do a hard cut to Maria Butina. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me all about her. Maria Butina, the 29-year-old accused of using deception to cozy up to high-level politicians and steer them toward Moscow's objectives. The next time we make love, can you hold a loaded gun to my face? Um... She's a Russian national. By at this point, the prayer breakfast, it's funny. This episode is almost like explaining to you that while when we started watching this, it was like, ooh, we're going to, I want some secrets. But mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes what we learn about these expose documentaries, it's, these aren't really secrets. In fact, this power is downright clumsy. Yeah. So Maria Butina, we just come off this 2016 election. There have been signs that Russia, I guess, has hacked the something. Russia certainly wants to uh, influence our politics and our elections, no doubt. They would always want to do that from since the beginning of Russia. Uh, just like how we rubbed our dick all over South America for, you know, decades. Like, mm-hmm. fucking with their fucking elections. But the reason, like, Donald Trump is president is because specific people in the right places voted. Mm-hmm. I think... There is definitely Russian meddling, but I think people sometimes use that to kind of make things separate in their mind, like like make almost like make it like it's a fluke or something. And it's mm-hmm. like no, especially with these these forces that prop these under the name of God prop up terrible figures and not only overlook their bad shit, but make overlooking their bad shit injected into somehow their faithful philosophy shows us that this has been going on for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So Maria Butina wanted to get some uh, Russian agents going on. This guy, Doug Burley, another fucking Doug. Another Doug. Doug Burley is Doug Coe's son-in-law. He married Doug Coe's oldest daughter. I keep expecting so many fucking Dougs. Is Doug Benson going to show up? <laughs> no. High as fuck at the uh, national prayer breakfast? Mm-mm. They say it's got to be Doug. They don't say it's like, it's absolutely, it was Doug. But she goes through channels. Oh, and she's like, hooks up with the NRA. She's big on guns. She's always flashing her pieces. Yeah, yeah. And she gets all these Russian folks to be invited to the National Prayer Breakfast in 2017. And it becomes this huge thing. People are questioning Doug about it, Doug Burley. Oh, there's a secret backroom meeting. Backroom whispers. Yes. Being planned. The, the National Prayer Breakfast at this point is just a big lobbying swap. It's basically a huge convention already. Like, it's not just a breakfast. There's lunches and meetings and dinners. Like, you're there for days. It, Everybody's meeting with everybody in every backroom. If you ever needed a Jesus Christ to come down and throw some fucking tables around on people. Ooh, and that'd like, be a good And whip place. at them. That's what that is. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Don't do this shit in my name, motherfucker. If you're real, dude, we need you to come down and flip these motherfuckers' tables. Right? Right. Right? The problem is, they just arrest Jesus. So Maria Butina gets, ar- gets arrested. <laughs> Who is this Jesus? Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Don't. That was the worst. You had to get that out. Maria Butina gets busted by the Department of Justice under Trump's um, administration, I should point out. Everything is so compromised. Why is this so openly revealed? I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know what I'm saying? I do. It's I, like clumsy out in the open. I, who is this? Jeff Sessions is the attorney general at this time. Like, I don't know. The dude is just like one clothing change away from being a Klansman, essentially. Like mm. he, They're all terrible. But Butina, she pleads guilty to being like an agent. Basically a Russian agent who's there to 
have Russia influence American politics and vice versa. And, uh, but it, every country is trying to do that with every country they fucking talk to. Straight up, bro. <laughs> this happened. This, this chapter is weird. This chapter is real weird. I, there's also a weird part in this chapter where there's tons of like right wing talking heads talking about praising Putin and mm. Russian Orthodox Church and how it's kind of held up as this ideal that we should strive for. Like an ideological reverse. We had a Russia that was banning religion. People were going to jail for admitting to being Christian. Mm-hmm. And now we got a, Rus- a Russia where the... It's just replaced that system of limited power and select people's hands. Now replaced with oligarchy and now with the Russian Orthodox Church influence thrown into the mix. So now the country's 70% religious. And then there is this whole thing about labor unions. And I don't know how we got from talking about that to labor unions, but they were talking about basically trying to crush the unions and saying that the unions were doing Satan's work. You know, like how poor people want opportunities. <laughs> right. God damn them for it. They want to like feed their families, you know. Jesus. They want to not be in debt uh, by with medical bills. Feels virtually impossible in this country if you're not they survive the top 1%. They want to survive uh, in, in a society that pretty much forces you to indebt yourself in credit cards mm-hmm. and get any standing in terms of being able to buy future important things. I'm tired. This this shit's depressing. But yeah, obviously Russia and the Republican Party, they do like each other now because evangelical leaders are like, look at Russia. They hate gay people so hard. That's what Christ wants. Also, through all of this, Doug Burley kind of does want to be Russian, I think. Yeah. He talks about how he's been going to Russia since he was 25, how he speaks Russian. He's been going through the years, meeting with Russian folks, learning about Russia, talking to Russian people about Jesus for 50 years. You know, he's kind of the head of this Maria Butina, or he's at the forefront of this Maria Butina scandal, though no one ever says it's him. Everyone kind of knows it is. And he's addressing it. There's this part where he's like addressing all this stuff to a group of obviously people who love him because everything he says is supported 1,000%. Everybody's welcome to the prayer breakfast. Doug Burley, allegedly, allegedly, every Friday, uh, Vladimir Putin impersonator piss in his mouth. Stop it. Allegedly. I forgot what I was saying. I was going somewhere, but I don't know. But yeah, it's just like a weird role reversal for Russian society. With all the vigor they used to stamp down religion, now that vigor is used to push it so hard and make it and blend it with their oligarchy system. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems like a lot of politicians don't really mind. I kind of want the reenactments back. I, I like miss them. the reenactments. They were good. The only thing that they did in this one was it's become more prevalent as we go along is showing text that they'll highlight with different colors of ink. I don't, or highlight colors. I don't know exactly what the significance is, but they keep using a red highlighter color that looks like they're just coloring with a crayon over words and it's bugging me. Yeah. But I miss James Cromwell. That's the, well, we heard his voice. And Surfer Boy. He ended up being really nice. He was always nice. He got into it for the right reasons. Bring him back. Is he dead? Did they kill him? Did the family kill him? No. No. (laughs) Well, 
Folks, I can't really remember what all we said or how the editing will turn out for the the last uh, chapter. (laughs) But we apologize. We were in loop-de-loop land, thrashing away at our bitterness. Our bitterness, which is rightful. Yes. But still. And just. And just. Justified. (laughs) In this episode, the anger increases because, you know, it seems like, as I understand it, I'll have to check the stats on this. I'm a little bit talking like out my ass. Fairly confident that somewhere in this I'm correct. (laughs) Okay. That as far as like Christianity, specifically Christianity that is injected hard into politics, seems to be becoming less popular. People, there's maybe more like non-religious associated people in America than ever. Yeah. And people that just maybe, maybe spiritual in their own right, but want to be divorced from any mainstream concept of religion. It seems like the brand of Christianity that they're in pursuant to is not for those that necessarily are poor, you know. Oh, it's not at all. If you're like a relatively good person, I mean, everyone's shitty in their own special way. But if you're like a, a good enough person that you don't commit murders or torture people or economic fraud in various ways, no one can. It seems like the upper echelons of Christian power just don't give two fucks about you. No, if you're just living your life. They don't have time. In fact, kind of the plebeians, I guess you could say. The people that are often crushed under the forces and that that which they empower, or at least reward power, just if that power says to them, yes, Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it seems like what we're seeing is a limited elitism, specifically a special Christian elitism, not in measures of accountability. And of course, we talk to former representatives and shit. And we talk about how they go to other countries and try to stop gay rights bills and stuff. And just influence what's happening in those countries. Yes, because it didn't work out for them in the gay rights thing in the U.S. Not just gay rights, though. I mean, that was a big focus of this one, but they were sort of saying how they can get their fingers into the the politics of another place literally just by meeting with their leader and saying Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. But gay rights was a focus of the episode. I mean, I'm sure anything that uh, goes into the pocket of the evangelical mission applies. I think that gay rights, obviously, they focused on the most because they had a couple, like, good big examples of that. And that's some of the stuff that has kind of come out that they were involved in. In Romania in particular. In Romania in particular. And Uganda. And we meet LGBTQ people in Romania, I guess, Mm -hmm. leading up to this referendum that they had. Yeah, it was this referendum where they wanted to change their constitution to say that marriage was between a man and a woman, not spouses. So it said spouses, gay people could get married, mm-hmm. and they were trying to change it so they couldn't. And there was some concern over that. Eastern Bloc countries, you know, often can be going to the routes of like uh, theocracy or quasi-dictatorships. So that could be very dangerous in the long run as to what can follow these kind of referendums if it goes into the way that they do get to change it. But that referendum lost, thankfully. It did lose. We don't find that out to the very end, and we didn't know. And I was very happy when it when the referendum did not pass. These big groups focus on these countries that other people aren't looking at. Yeah. They actually have specific people who sort of focus on different areas of the world that, like, travel on behalf of the fellowship. Uh, Adderholt. Adderholt and Siljander. We talked to those guys. Yeah, there's a couple guys that they talked to. The guy tells a story about how he was saying, I need to pray for something. Who do I pray for? And Doug was like, why don't you pray for Africa? 
Yeah. And so he starts praying for Africa, and then they pick something off the map, the capital of Uganda, and they start praying for that place. And then... They meet someone from there. Yeah, and that meant that it was divined by God that then they should go there, and they did some good stuff. Like, they set up a sister hospital in America, and they built all these dental health facilities and medical facilities and places to worship they did do some on the ground good work missionary shit yeah it's that's happened all over africa for hundreds of years but the problem is that they were doing missionary shit but traveling as congressmen and representatives they would claim to pick and choose depending on the stories we get going in various right dictators around the world like i'm not here to be a senator but like well, you're an elected rep. How are you not a senator, you know? Mm-hmm. Or I'm not, I'm here as a man of Jesus. I'm here to do the Jesus thing. Mm-hmm. And then, and of course, they're promoting, for example, um, any bill that doesn't recognize gay rights. Right. And in Uganda in particular, it's a lot more dangerous because you can get killed. You can get straight up murdered. The homophobia the, is pub, so publicly potent that the leaders there are like, yeah, I fucking hate gay people and they should be murdered. And so that seemed to be a story of the fellowship got in bed with them and then immediately said, oh, no, we don't. We can't support this. They can't support this specific idea of the legislation that calls for the execution of homosexuals. Exactly. If it had just been, we don't want any gay people here or gay people can't get married, anything I think except saying we're going to kill gay people, mm-hmm. they probably wouldn't have denied it but doug coe said no we can't we can't support that yeah but it doesn't mean they leave it doesn't mean they discontinue the relationship ultimately they they can say oh we don't like that but we're here to you know the wolves you got to care about the wolf like what if you fucking rape kids who am i to judge this is their position that means there's of no accountability. All you have to do is regurgitate the name of Jesus to them. And they say it's only about that. But in the case of they went to Libya back when Muammar Gaddafi Mm -hmm. was leader there. Now he is dead. You can actually find footage of him getting drugged through the fucking streets and getting like pretty much killed and waxed and getting a short shoved up his ass. It's pretty brutal. But he was considered an extreme enemy of the West for years representatives of this family, including Doug Coe, go there. They go following the Pan Am terrorist attack. So some terrorists had actually, did they put a bomb on the plane? Yeah, on a plane, killed over 200 people. Yeah, like I think it was 270 people died and Gaddafi was basically harboring the terrorists. Yes. Wouldn't turn them over. No one was getting anywhere. So they they go over there to visit with him and basically invoke the name of Jesus, and there's a phone call made, and 10 days later, the terrorists are turned over. It's funny, the guy who told that story also told about his agendas. I was elected to the US Congress in my 20s, and as soon as I got to Washington, Newt Gingrich and I, we plotted and planned to take over the House. We'd talk of mobilizing Christians and creating what we call wedge issues. Abortion, tax reform, foreign policy, gun control. And we wanted to wedge and divide people, put those that are pro-Republican and conservative on our side, 
we're going to get enough of them with enough wedges and turn them out to vote. Yeah, we want a divided country because we can control things as an extreme religious minority a lot easier in that way. Which is the kind of thing you hear people talking about as though it's a conspiracy that no one would ever admit to. And this guy is straight up like... And we wanted to wedge and divide people. They eventually make better relations through Gaddafi. They're saying they're only there as representatives of Jesus. But after their meeting, suddenly you're able to build U.S. hotels in Libya. One of the biggest enemy countries forever. Yeah, oil. Oil starts coming in and Libya produces uh, jet fuel. Same thing in Nigeria. They go meet this dictator general who straight up kills his own people. Abathka? Abacha? Yeah, and... Same thing there. You, you start getting accesses to resources from these only religious prayer meetings. But if you question these guys, they're just humble servants of the Lord. And yet there seems to be like significant changes that are going on here that benefit the United States and allows terrible people to maintain power. Yeah, they bring up the exact same thing in this chapter as they did in the previous chapter where... The fellowship, the family, this group themselves don't take action. They don't lobby. They're not into politics. It's not about politics. They go in the name of Jesus. And then what grows from that is what Jesus wants, basically. <laughs> so, so Jesus is the lobbyist. So is Jesus, what they're saying. Jesus is Jesus is my lobbyist. It's crazy. This is also when they talk about the man method, which 1000% makes sense. It could also just be considered off the books favors, but the man method is I need to get to another country. I need a way to get there. Oh, hey, here's a man over here who also loves Jesus and is part of our group. Hey, man, will you loan me your private jet to fly into another country? Yeah, and it's a private organization, so everything gets to be, quote, off the books, even though off these the people under the guise of Jesus, who are very powerful and often are within branches of government, are like, uh, we're just we're just holy men helping our brother out. That way, brother doesn't have to dip into some campaign fraud or some shit to go do this kind of shit. Yeah, well, and but then I guess they get a little messy or they don't care as much. And is it Siljander? Is that how you say it? Siljander, yeah. Siljander. He gets indicted. He gets in trouble because basically what he was doing is he was trying to raise money for these trips and these sort of missions and going to meet the kings. I talk about... They're always going to meet kings. Yes. They call everyone king. Everyone's a king. If you're a leader, you're a king. And so he's going to meet these kings. And so he starts a nonprofit to raise money. But one of the groups that gives money to his nonprofit is an Islamic terrorist group. Yeah, that's registered by the Department of Defense and shit as a terrorist group. Yeah. And so they give money to Siljander's group. And then in turn, that organization writes a check to the fellowship. Yes. To support this kind of stuff. And so then the fellowship has a paper trail back to this Islamic terrorist group. <laughs> but they're just doing it for Jesus. Yeah. I mean, they admitted that they <laughs> they don't care what you come from. Yeah, they don't care. They don't care. You can fuck kids. You can be the wolf. They don't care. As long as you say you look them straight back in the eye, you got to be a mirror to their Jesus. That's all they require. One of the guys quoted Doug Coe as saying, the bigger the crook, the better. Because... If I can go to this man and talk Jesus with him, then nothing else matters. And now he's on my side. And so who cares what he did before? It's like a whole Saul Paul thing, right? Like mm. it's straight up, you're in the brotherhood now. So it doesn't matter what you did before. All is forgiven and forgotten. 
it's all coded language. Just because you don't say exactly what you're saying, people in positions of power pick up on this kind of thing very easily. Our author friend was talking about, I think it was him, talking about how basically they just have a conversation where one guy goes, Jesus? Yeah, sure. Jesus. Jesus? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. And the money flows. And the guns flow. And everybody's, you know, winking and... And then they drink orphan blood. Oh, God. Out of uh, jeweled goblets. <laughs> it did end on the high note of the referendum not passing in Romania, despite the fact that we actually had a congressman go over there and talk about the sanctity of marriage. And this is the thing that made my blood boil, or one of the things within this, a lot of it is crazy making. But talking about the fact that once you are elected representative, you are an elected representative. Mm. You are a representative. It doesn't matter where you go. Yeah. Who you talk to, what you say, you are representing the United States now in your entity. Yeah. A cop, that is who you are. A cop is always a cop. A doctor is always a doctor. So you can't go somewhere and say, I'm not a congressman right now. I'm just talking about Jesus because you're still a congressman. It's just naive and sociopathic to think that, uh, talking about people who think they aren't, that they can just say they're not something and then be not something. Like this is the mentality. But it also doesn't matter what their actions actually are. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's not what I said. That's not what I represent, but it is. But maybe maybe this documentary series can be important because it would just further disillusion from those religious structures of power, perhaps, if a lot of people watch this. Because it seems like that delusion is in place. The problem is that I don't think... There's no It doesn't matter if we know. That's true. It doesn't matter if we know. It doesn't matter if, like you said before, the plebeians get it, understand it's happening. The change has to happen way higher than our heads for there to be an actual change or we need elected officials who are trying to go into office talking about the fact that they're not fucking any part of this then you can support those people the only difference is that everything's just blatant now you know yeah everything's just like right there i guess that's the advent of communication technologies or whatever things are becoming harder and harder to hide especially if members of your own religious organization uh, drop your name while confessing to adultery and shit like that. Things are more blatant. So what happens now? Exactly. I guess it might take time for, if we're looking for something different to happen, but what if, is there really any, I mean, Donald Trump's got to be the most blatantly corrupted dude out there right now, you know, in terms of the guy can't even like use his words right to defend himself. It's just pure id of Republican Frankenstein, you know? So. I was I was listening to something earlier today and it was basically comparing all the things that have happened under Trump's administration and that if even like a quarter of them happened under Obama's, no one would have stood for it. Of course. And it's... Obama was harder on immigration than the W administration. And they still say that this guy gave open door policies to immigrants. Obama deported like crazy. And then Trump came along and made all immigrant cases to be processed through a court, which completely clusterfucked the system. Mm -hmm. He's not even deporting that much. The ironic thing is that taxpayers are like footing the bill for all these families and children that he's locking up indefinitely. Whereas Obama's process of mass deportations, while had also negative results Mm -hmm. in and of itself, because sometimes you're running from countries for good reasons because your ass could be killed. And, Sure, that certainly happened through the Obama deportations, but that's just an example of, it's so, the Republican way 
they're I think they know. They understand. They're just so fucking good at manipulating to get yeah. their own way. They understand their own contradictions. They just don't fucking care. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And it's I, I think they understand them better than the so-called left understand their own contradictions. Yes. The the Republicans are just good at getting what they want by utilizing the reactionary nature of politics. Mm-hmm. They're masters at that shit. You want to finish this bullshit out? Yes. Wow, Angela, I did not expect this. I'm saved. I'm saved. <laughs> the family. I can't who am I to judge? You know? You just want you just want to be a wolf king. <laughs> I'm the wolf king. I'll be the greatest wolf king in the history of wolf kings. Uh chapter five is called the Wolf King. We didn't say the names of chapter wolf three king. or four, but Wolf King, of course, is referencing. We we heard that story before about the wolf. You go for the wolf, not the sheep. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Wolf King in this chapter is, of course, Donald Trump, who, mm-hmm. who they pointed out got the most evangelical support of any president. Which is interesting because a little less than half the country even bothered to vote in 2016. Yeah, but it was all evangelicals. Donald Trump didn't it was like get, every evangelical. Donald Trump didn't get the majority, the popular vote, but he got the electoral college, which means. He got the most people voted where it mattered. And um, I hate the electoral college. (laughs) Not because of this. I just have always thought it was stupid. But the fact that the most evangelical support went towards Donald Trump, a man who has no moral value whatsoever inside his brain. No, they show an interview where a man says, have you ever asked God for forgiveness? And he goes, that's a tough question. I, I don't think in terms of I have I'm, I'm a religious person. But have you ever asked God for forgiveness? What do I need? I'm the Wolf King. I don't, uh, what, what do I need he to... basically said, if I make a mistake, I try to make it right. I'm not sure I have. I just go and try and do a better job from there. I don't think so. I think I if I. If I do something wrong, I think I just try and make it right. I don't bring God into that picture. I don't. That's it. Of course, he picked Mike Pence, a guy whose political career was going down, and then he picked him, made evangelicals very happy. Except he didn't really want him. He wanted a party boy. uh, Chris Christie. Chris Christie, yeah. That's what they posit in this documentary, is that he would have picked Chris Christie, but... That one of the quote unquote deals made with the fellowship or the family, the family or elements of it, yeah, was that they support him, but he has to choose Pence. That doesn't seem surprising to me at all. The family's a bit more open now, and we actually speak to me- members of the family throughout this series as well of quite a several varieties of people, and they talk about how the age of technology has made them to be open, and that one guy brags about like. We're going to be multicultural, even uh, multi-languages. He's excited to say that, but but he only means within cultures, the elite forms of that culture, the elite speakers of those languages, not like migrant, dirt, poor immigrant people. No, and that's weird that he would even say some of those things because 
what they've been showing us, they already are. When they show groups of these people getting together, they're not all white men. They're all men usually. Yeah. But there's men from different places and they're meeting with leaders, kings from other countries. They're mostly white men. But, you know, and you get Doug, what's his face, the son-in-law speaking Russian. I mean, they do, they have like learned the languages they need to learn to get where they need to get. But he's trying to say, we're going to be more inclusive and this is going to be even better and grow to be better. But part of the reason he can even talk about this and... I think the reason there is transparency by the family to a point on this or participation on this documentary is because Doug Coe is dead. Oh. But before he died, he met with Trump and he went into his meeting with Trump and he's like, you remind me of Eisenhower. Hmm. And Eisenhower wasn't really into the prayer breakfast either, but he saw how he could use it. And you remind me of him. And then Coe was like, let me piss in your mouth. (laughs) I was surprised. That there was no sex scandal part of this. In one aspect, they were saying, we don't care if you rape children, we'll still accept you. And then the other aspect was like, "You, but you probably shouldn't cheat on your wife, at least like get caught about it. Mm. But I was sort of surprised that there was never a, but, something like that revealed to be part of the whole scandal but, but, or part of the whole hidden stuff. But the philosophical nature of pursuing elitism and to utilize that ability... But offer no accountability, no direction towards what it would take to be a Christian. Like, no one cares. About, they reiterate in this chapter how the Bible in its entirety doesn't fucking matter. It's just this book of the Jesus. Yeah. That, that, that is a limited at limited selections from the Bible. I mean, you know, child fuckers, they probably work very hard to bury it. Also, if there is like child rapists, then they're probably getting these young women from Eastern Europe or something and then locking them in a shipping thing and throwing them in the ocean these are just guesses on my part i mean i hope you're wrong i hope so too uh but again powerful people can pretty much do whatever they want earlier i was talking about like conspiracies and how people are kind of pointing out sometimes these conspiracies are really just policy the things that we perceive is like isn't that wrong isn't that illegal sometimes it ends up not really being illegal Mm -hmm. like talking to russian oligarchs like a lot of politicians do that the problem is that it's not illegal, you know, in certain aspects or certain ways of communicating in these ways are not illegal. But again, a world of no accountability here. Right. They do get into a little bit of prayer breakfast stuff in this one. Uh, Jesse Moss is uh, in this episode. Jesse Moss, yeah, he's the filmmaker. They talk about how, you know, they go back again to the history. Prayer breakfast started. It was like mayors, then it was governors, then it became national, then it was all that. And so they try to get into a couple local prayer breakfasts and they're denied. So then they work their way up and they actually get access to the national prayer breakfast. But they couldn't bring the camera, but he was recording. Yeah, so he recorded, but he wasn't allowed to bring his camera. At that prayer breakfast, he met a man from Portland who asked a question, basically saying, what do you say to people who... I assume Oregon? There's actually a lot of Portlands. I know, they never said. They never clarified. They never said. The guy basically asked a question about, like, what are you supposed to say to people who want to know why the transparency is not there? Like, why this is a secret group or whatever. They didn't really get into what the answer was. But afterwards, Jesse approached him and was like, hey, that was a very interesting question. How did you get into all this? And then it kind of cuts to the man and his group in Portland actually invited Jesse to attend one of their breakfasts, one of their meetings locally. And it was just like a room with like 12 
guys maybe yeah mixed race with the most mixed race room we'd seen so far yeah all men but definitely mixed without race. having to fly into uh, an african country or anything but within like two minutes of this footage they're talking about david and Bathsheba. yeah it's like the same thing i mean they did bring up some other points i thought that were very interesting yeah throughout this whole hour they were sort of still talking about like those same struggles and examples that we've heard even back at the beginning of when the author of the book was dealing with this. Well, this guy, his name is Anderson. I think something last name Anderson. Okay, I didn't write he, that down. He's the he was like a he looked like to be an older black man, ball cap, seemed to command have a very commanding presence in this. I believe room. he's been in and around it for twenty five years or so. Yeah, like a going to the national prayer breakfast meetings that represent because there's prayer meetings, fellowships like all over the country mm-hmm. and all over the world now. Hundreds. He's responding to. The director may be looking for, like, flaws or something, and he responds to him, well, why is your staff all... No, a white dude in the group goes... So, uh, why is your crew all white? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, why is it? Yeah. The well, answer. I think, I think that... Because we, we're not doing enough to make sure that there's diverse representation in our industry. And, and I think that, that leadership has to start from the top, doesn't it? There's more to it than that. I assume he's got like at least three, four people helping him out in the production of filming mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesse Stammers, I mean, he's probably what you'd call like an NPR liberal. I don't know shit about him. but Nobody like, looks like that. He kind of acknowledged very awkwardly. that's like, yeah, it's not, a, it's not a great thing. We're not doing a good enough job. Yeah. Making yeah. sure that it's more inclusive. And I, you know, I'll say, you know, we, we try, we hire women. There's like, you know, it's a male dominated industry. Documentary less so than other aspects of filmmaking. So, so. I didn't ask you about women. I asked you about black people. We didn't ask you about women. Yeah, no one gives a fuck about we the women. asked you why you don't have any black people. And right. he was like, you know, I picked some of these people. Some of these people were picked. I don't have a good answer. I mean, he was honest. Like, he didn't try to make an excuse. But they busted on him for stammering on it. And then they basically were like, just so you know, we're going easy on you right now. Yeah, I'm not sure what that meant. Like, we would start eating you fingers first. I mean, that's what it seemed like. Because then they get into the whole aspect of breaking people down. How in order to rise above and, like, be who you need to be, like, you need to ask God to defeat you. Yeah. And you need to be broken. You need to face things about yourself that are not fun to face. And so that's their job is to say to each other, you did a terrible thing. Yeah. And you should feel bad about it. He also talked about if you do something bad, you need to ask forgiveness every day. He, and that seemed completely opposite of everything they'd been talking about previous. It seems like Mr. Anderson, a charismatic guy, he seemed to be go going all over the map. He has like his own philosophy within the and fellowship. I, and I kind of relate to that because sometimes when I get going and my philosophies and my ideas... And I'm feeling my particular outrage about something. I can do that too. I can go all over the place. Sure. But he oddly acknowledges that this organization is essentially like Christian mafia. It's straight up Christian mafia. (laughs) That's where the mafia got their pattern from. They got it from. They got it from the Christian structure. What? We can't say it on Netflix? Are you kidding me? What? Would you muffling me now? It's the mafia, dude. Yeah, he says Christian mafia. But his position is that if God loves everyone, then he God wants me to love these people as well. People always want to bring in and talk about the underprivileged and the downtrodden. They don't want to talk about the overprivileged 
and the lonely hearts uh, at the top. And in fact, I was like that. I was like, well, I don't need to go talk to no rich white dude. You know, God changed my heart, mind about that real fast. Because God says, if you love me, then you should love everybody in this town. You should care about what I care about. If you only care about what you care about, then you don't love me. That was the beginning of my Washington DC experience. Why do I go back? Because God loved those people. And if I say I love God, then I have to learn to love what God loves. These people meaning these white men in DC. Yeah, but he, but his idea of holding yourself accountable every day for your past, and that's something he desires as a black man in America, he, he's more in tune with that, the importance of accountability than the white guys around him. That's why he seems honest about it being very mafia-like. Mm -hmm. But he, God says to love everyone, so that's his position, even to go here into this powerful group, this National Prayer Breakfast. Also, these men in this group seem to be more, I mean, I don't know what their various levels of successes are, but have more of a blue-collar vibe than a lot Definitely. of people we've seen in this. A mix, for sure, but for yes. For sure. But I don't know if Anderson's message was as consistent as it is that we've learned that the upper echelons of the family, he explained why he goes there. Mm -hmm. But we don't know if philosophically he does he jibe as well with it. But these organizations don't need you to philosophically jibe with them. They just need you to support. Just say Jesus. Just Jesus. Just mirror nothing back else. Jesus. Nothing else. Jesus plus nothing. Someone's talking at one point about how this whole group, it's the, it's the religious man who was part of the impetus of them getting looked into during the tax stuff. He's talking about how when he started looking into their group more, it was really the family is more of a pre-church era, like before churches were in existence, like when Jesus was actually walking the earth. You didn't have a church you went to. You didn't have a congregation. There wasn't a label of like what you believed. It was just small groups of people talking about Jesus. But there was a, there was a different climate during that time. Yeah. Because early Christianity was a, very much persecuted in ways that are not like that now. Yeah, but they skipped over that part and just said it was like everybody's talking to people about Jesus. Like there's also they're not. I mean, organizationally they're quiet, but they're not quiet about worshiping Jesus himself. Yeah, they're quiet about the organization. Though this is weird because Christians yeah. will utilize this ancient persecution to their convenience. Yeah, and in this level they bring it up without ignoring that context that they usually fall on to be victims. You know, very. Very well, weird. and they weren't calling themselves this. Sure. This other, like, priest or preacher was. But that's what happens, right? Like, it becomes, like, this cult-like thing where these small groups of people are gathering and talking about this person. But then each of those different groups is going to have their own sort of theology within that larger thing because it is growing and it's not super defined. So that almost sort of explains Anderson and his different thoughts yeah. that might be completely different from what the dudes in D.C. are saying. Yeah, but so long as Anderson is willing to go and be there and listen, just the same way as it's a, if uh, the dictator of Uganda or, mm. Gadda or Gaddafi, if they'll, they'll do the same thing. I mean, it's no problem. You just got to be there. Jesus. Jesus. So then they get into Trump. I'm a very intelligent person. A little bit heavier. Talking about how Trump was influenced by his father and the fixer guy. Uh, Roy Cohn. Roy Cohn. And also. Roy Cohn's royal fucking trash, dude. They didn't really get into him very much, but I know that name. And he comes, um, our, one of our previous episodes, Get Me Roger Stone. Yes. 
sorry about the audio quality. It kind of gets more into Roy Cohn in that episode. If you yeah. Want more. And then Norman Vincent Peel. Oh, yeah. The how to win friends and influence. Trump has been telling no, this guy. Yeah, power of positive thinking. Yeah, yeah. Norman Vincent Peel. He also wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People okay. as well, I, I think. He's Trump's pastor. He's basically talking about chaos magic. Think it and it will be and it will be. Well, or interesting like, that uh, you say chaos magic <laughs> because some people would have referred to Trump like within this group, within the evangelical world as God's chaos candidate. Right, right. Just the actualization, think about it, think positively about it. And uh, there's a lot of Christians out there that don't prescribe to this. Uh, there are Christians out there that understand that being a Christian involves going through the hardships as well. Mm-hmm. And that they have, and those type of Christians often have a big problem with this. You deserve to have all these riches if you just ask for them kind of approach. Well, it also depends on what your beliefs are as far as predestination. If everything's predetermined, you really don't have choices. Yeah. For if someone, you're someone who... Like Trump is yeah. very powerful. If you're a narcissist, that means that you deserve to get everything. And oh, of course you're going to get it because it was it's going to be given to you. Yeah. You don't have to actually even work for it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And But he grew up, was it Pentecostal? Presbyterian. Presbyterian. Pentecostal is something different. When you say to him, we believe you're here for a reason, he's like, Bing, bing. Well, yeah, yeah I right, am. Right, because I'm great. And I'm a rich man. Did I tell you I'm a rich man? Yeah. I'm the Wolf King. We had our beautiful Marine standing there. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. There's some awful bits about... Of, you know, Trump using the Bible incorrectly. But then again, it doesn't matter because the Bible doesn't really matter. Yeah, these aspects where they, how could Trump say it like that? It's like, dude, he was elected president saying, talking about groping women on a mic. Like, I know. Do you think it really matters if he reads a fucking Bible verse wrong? Like, Jesus. One of his <laughs> folks, uh, who is it that quotes Romans 13 as a justification for separating families at the border? Oh, Jeff Sessions. Sessions. That. Insert vomit sounds. That passage requires obeying man, obeying the laws of government, which this it's kind of funny how that cited when you got a Republican administration in power. So like you said, this is pretty much the end, but I realized something at the end. They're sort of wrapping up and you can tell. Jesus is your true Lord and Savior. (laughs) Well, according to Doug Coe's daughter at his funeral. Jesus is going to be our brother and our husband, and God is going to be our father. So I can't wait. So that is an interesting porn hub subcategory. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, what I realized is that, you know, they're kind of wrapping up. And so it's almost like they're getting final thoughts from all these people. And so Charlotte's there that wrote the book. But the different members of the family who we've actually been speaking to are also there. And this is when the guy talks about how we're trying to be more inclusive. They show a website. I guess the family has a website now. Diversity. Y'all libs love diversity, right? (laughs) Y'all socialists, you like diversity. But what occurred to me is I really would love to have been a fly on the wall when you explain to these people what this documentary is and what the purpose of it is. Because even if they thought, like, this is an investigative thing to talk about the family, they were sort of spinning it in a way. I truly believe that the people who are part of the fellowship who were part of this documentary 
believe that there are people who will see this documentary and will seek them out and become part of their group. It might it might happen. They were it was like they were That could be the case. It it could, but it's like that's why they participated. It's like we don't have anything to hide because we haven't done anything wrong. There was also sort of this montage of like the family is perfect. Everything's great in the family. The family's never done anything wrong, you know. And so to them, it was almost like they're using this propaganda. But there was this great part where the guy was talking about all the wonderful things. And then they were cutting in. Nazi imagery and shit. Uh-huh. The, uh, the aspects of power that uh, Doug Coe publicly spoke about kind of being jealous of the mafia, the Nazis and uh, Maoist empire, Maoist communist regimes and shit like that. But it, we, we forgot to mention this, but in the last episode... The guy who started it all, the dude from Norway, Abraham. Oh, yeah. He sought out a, I forget the name of that Nazi, but he was instrumental yeah. in like final solution shit. Like we're talking about a guy who was like kicked them in ovens and got him on the Jesus kick, got him on the Jesus thing and forgave him. And I'm thinking like, is it you that needs to forgive this guy in this situation? Did he kick you in a fucking oven? Did he kick your fucking family in a fucking oven? Did he gas your mother or father? Like, why the fuck do you need to forgive him? What the fuck happened to you? The family. Eat shit and die. Angela, <laughs> we don't rate documentary series in Herzog's. Nope. Or stars or anything like that. Our sweet, sweet Errol Morris's. We rate documentary series in Errol Morris's. I give this one through five Errol Morris's. I'm going to give it one through five Errol Morris's. Combined for best out of ten Errol Morris's, I'll go first. Okay. I thought this was fine. I thought this was pretty <laughs> good. I won't say anything shocked me, but I appreciated a lot of the details. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. But but I think like people who are representing the family in this movie, I think they could probably watch this and say to themselves, like, that was fine, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean... Because the historical aspects of things, they can't really deny a lot of this stuff, right? I have these guys saying it. They just feel justified in what in what they're doing because Jesus is the great justificator. These right. Guys. Jesus is my lobbyist. It's not me. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's the tool. But this is Christian elitism, uh, Christ for the select few who have control over the small people. And even... Even those who are poor, who turn to Christ in their poverty, are not good enough. Even the people who turn to Christ but get crushed under the weight of those in power that they seek out to influence. But not enough to hold them accountable or guide them in any positive direction. It's Christianity in which you are already ordained to be chosen. Therefore, The only work you have to do is just say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus over and over again. It doesn't really matter what you do other than that. Just keep saying Jesus. We really love the, there was really only a lot of heavy um, reenactments in episode one, but surprisingly, we really enjoyed those parts. Mm -hmm. Kind of found myself wanting more of a dramatization of this, but when it went towards the history of it and more of the talking heads aspect, we, we kind of were up and down on it. It got a little better, I think, as it went on. I think we just kind of adjusted to it. Yeah, idea. I think it was more adjusting. I'm not sure who this would shock. Maybe it's just because we grew up in the South. <laughs> 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 the biggest throws of power that determine the most fundamental, seemingly mundane aspects of our everyday life and laws from what we can s- smoke or seek or when we can drink is determined by, you know, like basically a social... The social theocratic 
religious whims of the people around us. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just the way it is. We we kind of just live with it. But I don't necessarily think that makes us better or worse than so-called blue stater people who seem to stick all their black people in very specific locations and hide them from the from the NPR liberals that come and visit the nice neighborhoods, right? Anyway, <laughs> you can tell I'm angry at everybody. But I'm going to give this, the old Herzog average, a solid three. I think Jeff Moss, or I'm sorry, I keep calling you Jeff Moss, Jesse Moss. Yes. I think with the, reena- the way the reenactments help is that we don't really know much about these people personally. So it, help- it didn't bother us to see reenactments, unlike a movie like soaked in bleach where you can't get out of your head that that doesn't look like Courtney Love or even sounds like <laughs> Courtney Love. Right. So I think it helps in that regard. But I got to credit uh, Jesse Moss for doing really good cinematically at executing that. Yes. And his cinematographer and his crew that works for him as well. So there was uh, there was some slick shit to admire here. And I did appreciate some of it, but not enough to push it past a good old-fashioned Herzog average. In fact... I'll give it a 3.25. Errol Morris's. Errol Morris's. The Errol average, I guess. In the series. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to give it 3.25. Okay, so I really did also love the reenactments at the beginning. I did miss them because they were only in, they were prevalent in the first chapter. Kind of referenced a few times throughout, but not really anything new. It was just replay of things you already, you'd already seen in very small snippets to kind of ground back into maybe what Charlotte thought about something. What they did get into in the later chapters was telling bits of story through comic books, through comic panels, which was fine. It was hard to tell why. Because that one dude, the former Nixon aide that was involved in Watergate, had a comic book, a Spire I thought he wrote a book. It was a comic book for real? Oh, right. It was both. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe they built on that and kept using it. Because I understood why they used it in his case. Because I do remember now you said you've even seen that book. But they did still use that a few times later, which I thought was interesting. Some of the way the story was told got a little bit confusing to me because they would sort it felt like they'd sort of start different stories and then come back around to finishing them, bookend each chapter, like starting a story and then telling a whole lot of other things that were related and then finishing that story, which was fine. I just really liked the way the first chapter was told. Yeah. A lot. The opening shot of this was really well done. Yes. We only got one Trees Against the Sky shot. That was at the very top. Once is totally forgivable, Jesse. I forgive you. Some of the James Cromwell read words of Doug Coe, it was all done very well. I I loved him as that character. And I agree. Like I think if they'd put more reenactments in after, later, once we'd gotten used to seeing the real people, that might have been a little jarring. So maybe that was a decision too. I don't know. Ultimately, I do feel like I learned things. Also not surprised by the things. I don't know what I'm supposed to do now with this information. Not that it needed to give me some sort of call to action, but it's like we were talking about after the last one. Okay. Hey, at this point, we're just surfing the rubble while the world <laughs> burns, right? Right. Like, I know this now. Okay. I'm also going to give it a three. I'm just giving it a three. Okay. I think it showed a lot of great potential. I would definitely watch another documentary made by this person. If for some reason your head's in a bucket and you have no idea about the religious influence in our government, then this would, I guess this would shock you. It just maybe would tie some strings together. 
it's not completely unimportant. I guess we're just talking about the inconsistencies of magic, of execution. Some parts were really well done and other parts were just like, is this episode almost over? I do think if you're someone who falls into the whole that's a conspiracy bucket, this could give you enough true examples that cannot be denied that you can actually go look into on your own time for yourself and see that there are truly ties to these things happening. It's a lot of bullshit that people are getting away with. Yeah. But like I said, um, what we call conspiracy is really just open policy and you just conspiracy because maybe mainstream news doesn't talk about this shit all the time. You know, I mean, we've had, uh, we're going on been in multiple wars for well over a decade and the news media there, they have nothing more to add to that kind of shit either. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just another, another war, another front, front line that the, that isn't sexy enough to report all the time. So people call it conspiracy because, because the Washington post isn't it sticking it in their face like every other day. But you know, if you, if you care about these things or you want to understand these things, you got to pursue them. And they don't really feel like conspiracies. Mm-mm. And if you're, it's a, a conspiracy shock, you know, like the Epstein shit shocks with the level of power that it supposedly touches. And it shocks like the result and the lack of accountability. But this doesn't shock me. And, but I do consider it very detrimental to democracy. And, and based on my personal philosophies and how I feel, I'm not a Christian, but I have my moral levels here i do think it is more evil than it is good yes so my three your three with my 3.25 that is 6.25 errol morris's uh like about an average for us i would say yeah errol morris's and that is a documentary series on netflix called the family by jesse moss and i kind of want to i don't know when we'll have time to do it we we're on a pretty heavy schedule i want to watch errol morris's wormwood yeah. Because that seems to have a lot of uh, uh, reenactments in there. And we know he's pretty solid. At Maybe we could do that around the holidays. Yeah. Some. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to sleep. Okay. And um, keep on docking. I love you. Christ. Amen. Thank, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Oh, I think I know it. I want to do an impression of my grandma when she would sing uh, in church. Okay. Glory, glory, hallelujah. (laughs) That is so much closer (laughs) than you think it is. Sounds like I'm being mean. It's pretty, it's it's, it's really I can hear it. I can hear it. It's straight up Christian mafia. (laughs) That's where the mafia got their pattern from. Luke's fiance is a Jezebel. It's the mafia, dude. The family of God is working invisibly all over the world. And it is invisibly spreading. You say the mafia, they keep their organization invisible. The more you can make your organization invisible, the more influence it will have. Vampires didn't know they were vampires.